Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. It has been a few months since Amy Marshall was here. Glad you're back, Amy. EPA regulatory and policy update. Everybody is always interested in this topic. So let's just get right into it. If you don't know who Amy is, go back to all the other podcast episodes she's been on. She is a frequent guest and contributor. So, Amy, let's go through just the bullet points of current activity. Start out with ambient standards. Probably makes sense to talk PM 2.5 and just give an update on where we're at. All right. Sounds good. So EPA has a lot going on. They recently asked for a budget increase to help them fund all of the activities they have going on. So on the NACS front, there are a few things to talk about. Uh, EPA is set to propose a reconsideration of the PM 2.5 NACS this summer. And so there was a recent meeting of the Clean Air Scientific Advisory Committee And they recommended lowering not only the annual standard, which we expected, but also the daily standard. The annual standard is currently at 12 micrograms per cubic meter. The KSAC recommended lowering it to some level closer to 10 or maybe even 8, depending on which data you put the most uh, emphasis on. And so while this may not result in a lot more non-attainment areas, it will have the impact of reducing what we're calling the headroom or the distance between the monitored background concentrations, which are typically in the, I don't know, seven to eight microgram range uh, and the new standard. So this is going to make it a little more difficult for facilities to perform successful air dispersion modeling demonstrations if they have to model either for a project or a permit renewal or just as a result of a request from the agency or maybe even the community. So a lower NACS could make more facilities opt to place ambient monitors nearby uh, rather than attempt to perform air dispersion modeling demonstrations with emission factor data and throughput capacity. So it'll be interested to see what happens as a result of any lower standard. So proposal this summer, probably a final standard later next year. Amy, I'm glad you mentioned staffing before I dove right in. Even though some state agencies may be struggling with staffing and budgets, EPA not so much. I mean, what what do you? How can you uh, elaborate on that a bit with some of the conversations you've had recently? So here in North Carolina, the the state agency recently got some fee increases approved, um, and they're trying to hire. And EPA is located right here, kind of on the other side of town from the local agency, and and they're also hiring. So I think they tend to pay a little better than a state agency. So. I know that different agencies are struggling to find people that want to go into a, a career in environmental protection. And so I think they're, they might be competing for the same pool of staff, but EPA is definitely hiring. Um, they've expressed that they need more people to get all their 
work that has regulatory deadlines associated with it done. So I feel like we'll see kind of a, a staffing up at EPA here over the next few months. Back to PM two and a half. I had a conversation with John Slade a month or so ago, and he gave some advice, especially at eight on an annual understanding how monitor trends go and what impacts monitors near your facility and keeping more track of that as a company is something he definitely advised because eight is tight. I mean, eight, eight is a different dynamic than 10 relative to how close some of the actual attainment status will be. What's your thought, Amy? I know we look at different parts of the country, but eight versus 10, big picture, attainment, non-attainment, what does that bring into play? Well, if you look at all the design values based on the, the data that are currently certified, half of the country is at eight or higher. <laughs> so eight, eight is going to be a huge problem. Um, at 10, if you have a smaller facility or if your facility doesn't have a lot of PM two and a half emissions, then you may still be able to you know, do a modeling exercise and, and fit yourself in that room. But yeah, I think eight is certainly going to be a bigger challenge than 10 for sure. Well, if you're a company out there, take a look at your monitors nearby and understand what impacts them. We sort of joked in the past about the barbecue places in Phoenix City, Alabama. They come up a lot and how they impact the monitor. They actually might make the difference if the standard is eight, <laughs> depending on how they're operating. And we only half joke. So understanding that is uh, is critically important. So we'll keep track of PM two and a half. How about ozone, Amy? A couple of, uh, I mean, not as much uh, maybe NACS activity there, but some FIP activity uh, maybe walk through some of that. Sure. Yeah, EPA has begun its reconsideration of the rule that reviewed and retained the ozone NACs at 70 ppb, which was the level established in 2015. They're they're just getting going on that, and there's not as much of a feeling that that level will go down as as there is with the PM two and a half standard. Some current non-attainment areas are about to experience a bump up in severity levels, so that'll result in some more stringent requirements and some lower permitting thresholds. So we're tracking what's going on there. But the biggest thing that is happening right now, I think, uh, related to, to ozone is the recent EPA proposed federal implementation plan on ozone transport. And so this FIP will force 25 states to further reduce their ozone season power industry NOx emissions and 23 states to require stringent ozone season NOx limit on industrial sources for the first time. So the sources that EPA proposes to cover are glass furnaces, iron and steel sources, natural gas transmission, combustion engines, uh, chemical facility boilers, and pulp and paper boilers. So um, hundreds of sources that are typically much smaller than um, and EGU and the power industry could get folded into this rule. So, like I said, it's a proposal. Um, the comment period is 60 days. We should see a final rule here, perhaps by the end of the year, uh, to get it implemented in time for next year's ozone season. The industrial sources that EPA is proposing to add to this rule would comply by the 2026 ozone season, but the, the limits that are being proposed are even more stringent than NSBS NOx limits. So we are hoping one industry association with some comments will see 
how how or if the rule changes between proposed or final. So sweeping NOx limits, a number of different industries, 25 states. This rule seemed to come maybe as a little bit of a surprise in how broad it was. Is that true, Amy? Yeah, I think that um, it took some of the industry associations a little bit by surprise just because of the magnitude, the number of sources that could get pulled into this rule. I don't think they were expecting it to be so broad. So if we look at the industrial boilers that EPA is proposing to pull in, if we remember back to the NOx SIP call, you know, EPA was only proposing to cover fossil fuel fired boilers greater than 250 million BTUs per hour. And this rule covers boilers 100 million BTUs per hour or greater. Um, so the bigger universe of boilers being pulled in across 23 states here. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that one. And certainly there's NOx SEMS implications. There's NOx limit implications. There's capital implications for these units. So a lot going on with that rule and we will keep close track of it. Finishing up NACs, Amy, lead. That's a conversation we had earlier today. Any update on lead, slightly smaller universe of impact than PM2.5, but any NAX news is interesting NAX news. So what's going on there? Yeah. So lead emissions have decreased dramatically in the United States over the last, you know, 40, 50 years or so. Um, and EPA has just begun its required periodic review of the lead NACs. They may also make this standard more stringent. So right now, the lead NACs is really a concern for lead smelters. Um, they're kind of the largest stationary source of lead left in the U.S. If EPA does tighten the standard and down to a lower concentration, this could also be a concern uh, for lead acid battery facilities and iron and steel mills, which do have some lead emissions, but just, you know, lower concentrations than the smelters. So it could force um, some different industries to look at more stringent controls. Okay. So we keep potentially getting tighter and tighter there. Similar implications to that universe as PM two and a half. You've got permitting implications, you've got modeling, you've got monitoring implications, all those things. So once again, we will keep track of that one as we go. Expect to hear more from us on that in the coming months. All right, switching gears. Let's go toxics. What is going on on the NESHAP front, Amy? There's always a cycle of risk and technology reviews and things like that. What is EPA spending time on there? So in this area, EPA is, uh, has a lot of activity going on, and they, they have a lot of deadlines that they have to meet um, so they've got sort of two sets of things going on. They are reconsidering some of the risk and technology reviews that they did in the last administration. Um, they've sent out some pretty comprehensive information collection requests as part of some of those rules um, in both the manufacturing and the chemical industries. And then they're also working on some of their required technology reviews um, of several chemical industry rules. They're likely to reassess risk there, uh, specifically for ethylene oxide, even though they're not required to, to reassess risk. They have a, a, an ongoing technology review requirement, but only a one-time risk. But, you know, we've seen a lot of ethylene oxide items in the news. 
EPA kind of made the risk value for ethylene oxide more stringent. And, and since it did its original round of risk reviews for uh, rules like the HAN, polyether, polyol. So they're likely to re-review the risk for some of these industries with ethylene oxide emissions. Um, the other thing that seems to be of interest again in the current administration is how to incorporate fence line monitoring requirements in some of these air toxics rules. So uh, really the only niche app that we see fence line monitoring in is the refinery niche app. Um, and it's not a continuous monitoring requirement. That's kind of a passive sampling requirement. And so now they're thinking about how can we incorporate fence line monitoring and some of these other air toxic rules just to, to do a little bit more to address community concerns, uh, cumulative impacts to these fence line communities. So it'll be interesting to see what different types of approaches they come up with for these different industries. There's, you know, sometimes there's one chemical of concern. Sometimes there are multiple, you know, sometimes there EPA might be concerned with fugitive emissions that they might not think people are uh, tracking very well. They might be uh, concerned that people don't have a lot of, you know, continuous monitoring data. So we'll see how this works its way into some of these toxics rules that we should see proposals for maybe towards the end of this year and, and into next year. All right. So keep an eye out for fence line monitoring. And then as for risk, I talked with Rich Hamill last time about EPA's cumulative risk rule that is not yet a proposal and is still in the works. And that's a big one. That's a big one for permitting. So once again, stay tuned on that. Amy, we talked briefly earlier about NADA data. I think that's something that's come up in our conversations in the past. Anything on how that has manifested itself? I know EPA is looking at that annually now, the, the National Air Toxics uh, Database. Yep. So the NADA is the National Air Toxics Assessment, and it's EPA's taking the the annual emissions inventory data and turning it into kind of a, a screening assessment of risk. And so the latest version of this is from the 2017 emissions data. They've actually uh, put it into a tool called Air Tox Screen. Um, so if you've seen that, that's sort of the latest version of of the NADA. Um, and they have committed to looking at this on a more current basis, even annually. So I think, you know, when we saw the updated EJ screen tool, EJ screen 2.0, it now hooks into the 2017 air talk screen analysis. So as we move forward with better versions of these tools, I think we'll see more current versions of these air talk screens as well. So it's just the, vo the volume of environmental data available about your facility online and these different tools and websites is increasing. So I think we've done uh, programs about, you know, making sure your environmental data across your reports is consistent, having um, good confidence in your data. So it's even more important now that EPA is uh, publishing these types of analyses to make sure they're they're using good data from your facility. Awareness of what's out there and consistency are key. Let's stick in an air toxic lane. Boiler mat. That's a big air toxic rule. Pretty sweeping. It's uh, now 2022. It started in 2004, I believe. Where are we with the latest iteration of Boiler Mact? 
Yep. 20 years later, we're still not done with Boiler <laughs> Act. Uh, so there was actually, uh, Boiler Act is at the White House Office of Management and Budget being reviewed right now. So we, in 2020, we had a proposal as a result of a court decision that basically suggested EPA did some of their emission limits incorrectly. So um, they have now drafted a final rule. It's being reviewed. Um, I participated with an industry coalition at a meeting today to kind of reiterate some of the points that we made in our comments in 2020. But I, I expect that the the final rule that we see coming out here fairly imminently is, is likely to be pretty similar to what we saw in the proposed rule in 2020. Um, and that won't be the end of the Boiler Max saga because EPA still does have to do its risk and technology review for that rule, which I believe at this point they are overdue for, but don't have a deadline for. And just to recap, the boiler categories of highest concern that folks really need to look at coming up, what are those? So some of the limits that are going down fairly significantly apply to new sources. And so at this point, a new boiler was built in 2010. Um, So if you built a new solid fuel boiler in 2010, the HCL limit could go down quite a bit. And some of the um, CO and PM limits, especially for biomass boilers, could go down. And then for existing units, um, it's likely that the HCL and some of the mercury standards could go down, but but not a whole lot. Okay. So somebody that's doing fuel sampling might have to switch to stack testing, for example, just to keep their compliance margin. I had lost an appreciation for a new boiler being 2010. That shows how long this has been going on. So good to know. New source review, any broad new source review updates. That's always a topic of interest for us. And we know there's big projects being planned. So what's the skinny? Yep. So there was a lot of activity and a lot of good stuff coming out in the last administration around uh, NSR reforms and just some clarifying memos and things. There is actually a new NSR group leader at EPA. Uh, The former group leader retired. I think EPA has so much going on that has deadlines that there just hasn't been a lot of action in that NSR group recently. We might see something clarifying the project emissions accounting rule come out of that group at some point, but um, it's really not been an area of focus for the air group. As far as permitting goes, I think we're seeing more activity with respect to environmental justice and civil rights act cases. Um, people, you know, community groups or environmental groups being concerned about facilities permits. Amy, other than staying connected with this podcast and the other information that we put out, what advice do you have for companies out there looking to stay connected with EPA? Is there folks at EPA that companies out there should be trying to stay connected with and maybe some advice around that? Well, I think a a good way to stay connected with the agency folks is to go to some of your local conferences and and participate in your industry association meetings. So, for example, a couple of weeks ago here in the Carolinas, we had the Carolinas Air Pollution Control Association, and we had a lot of agency staff, uh, both from the North Carolina and South Carolina air agencies, but also from Region 4, And so it's a good chance to kind of chat with those folks and and hear what's going on and also to to tell them kind of what some of your concerns are. 
Amy, any other broad EPA updates, topics that we have not covered or any general pieces of advice about how how busy EPA will be moving forward? Well, they just came out with their final strategic plan and, um, you know, consistent with the current administration's goals, they are uh, very keen on doing things around climate change and EJ. So I think those are two extra things to track on top of all the other things that we're tracking. So lots going on, a lot of activity, but stay tuned and we'll keep you up to date. And we will look to, in the coming months, get back together for some EPA updates that are air-focused. Also have some other guests that maybe get into some other media as well, because there's activity across the board, and we're tracking all of it. But in the meantime, appreciate everybody listening. Hope this was helpful. Amy, thanks again for getting together. Let's do it again in about three months and see where we're at. And with that, everybody, thank you so much for listening. been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.